getting used to the phenomenon of having a group of people, three-dimensional people, sitting in front. Mm. So real, normal. <laughs> or is uh, all the benefits of, um, you know, video online, which are enormous benefits, uh, can be obtained through that. Uh, still, it's, I feel it's sometimes kind of slightly strange <laughs> talking to thin air. Mm. So here, speaking where we are in the monastery, uh, what monasteries are about, gathering places, uh, and, the, and the transmission of the Dharma was always uh, direct. People were sitting together, talking face to face, listening, presence. Mm. Buddha setting up. Uh, communities. He said his great achievement, his hallmark, his final achievement was to establish what he called the fourfold assembly. It was like this is the crowning piece that will hold it all together. Assembly of uh, gone forth men and women and householder men and women. That covers it. So then they're mutually supportive and mutually correcting and mutually sympathetic yeah. and sympathize doesn't mean it agree it means you tune in these are my people mm. it matters they matter this is us it matters it's not just me we matter mm. and it's not just uh, the sake of a kind of nice community but in fact it's a uh, necessary for moderating uh, the mind which uh, can easily tip into self-obsession me, me, me or on the other extreme it can just be uh, all about everybody else so we're searching for somebody else to make things right somebody else to blame somebody else's this or that we're focusing on other people and we don't really point back to ourselves to what's happening in our own hearts and so essentially community is that which we find ourselves we find ourselves by noticing how we are with others how others affect us and we find our truth our balance not drawn out Searching for something from somebody else, yeah. projecting fears, desires onto other people, mm. not, you know, running inwards, ignoring everybody else, uh, holding on inwardly, but somehow spanning all of it. Mm. Normalizing normalizing and not just people but environment how we are with creatures with atmospheres with living places a lot of attention giving monastic training and suitable environment 
kuti, keeping your kuti tidy, looking after the forest, looking after the place you're living in, caring for guests. There is sweeping around our environment, social environment, human environment, physical environment, and of course our karmic environment, which is the essence of it all. Things that have happened in the past that we regret or rejoice over, teachings that we remember and cherish, uh, things we have to forgive ourselves for, things we have to forgive others for, memories, perceptions, impressions. We live within this multifold field uh, that operates in terms of space and time. Really, we're not separate. Jitta, heart, mind is poised, lives within this field of impressions. Impressions of self, impressions of others, impressions of what the past is, impressions of what the future could be, impressions that are saddening, impressions that are gladdening, impressions that are encouraging, impressions that are depressing, impressions that are inspiring, impressions that are fearful, and so forth. Past, present, future, what we can see with our eyes, what we can remember in our minds, and so forth. That's what we're with. And that's. And now we can lock onto any of that, get into some kind of obsessive state around something I did five years ago, I'm still chewing over and feeling regret and remorse over, or bitter, or mistreated. Or somebody I knew ten years ago, I feel a self-grief, loss, bereavement, or some kind of irritating experience. We can lock on to these things. We can lock on in the present moment to this person does this, they drive me crazy. Why is he always like that? Why does she never do this? We can lock on to that. We can lock on to ourselves. Why am I like this? Why can't I be like that? How am I ever going to be this way? Why am I always that way? And these, when we lock on, this locking on attachment, it's called, you can be sure suffering and stress will follow. If you haven't got it yet, it will certainly be coming in. (laughs) It's a result of attachment within the field generates these discrete objects called myself and others. Myself in the past, myself in the present, what I will be in the future. That's an object that arises in our mind. Other people in the present, other people in the past, other people in the future. That arises in my mind. Dumbers. These are dumbers. We look around, we see buildings, trees, so forth. How does that affect us? Spacious, open, delighted. Or we feel congested, crowded, too much traffic, too many people, buildings, affected externally, affected internally, physical conditions, energy problems, health, affected internally, mind states, affected internally, affected externally. And it's not you know, just external is other people. No, external is everything we take to be outside ourselves. It can be the weather, it can affect you. Sunny day, you finally feel bright, positive. 
you know, two weeks of April, first two weeks of April in Britain is just like it's a garden. Beautiful, wonderful. You feel yourself spirits lifting up, the birds are singing, the flowers are coming out. Great. Last two weeks of November, you think, oh my goodness, how long is this going to go on for? <laughs> Everything's dying, dying, dying all around you. <laughs> Things are falling apart. And then you've got like three or four months of this grey, dark. <laughs> and some people like it, but it certainly has an effect. You get things like, you know, SADS, um, Seasonal Adjustment Disorder, and affected by that. So external has effects. Internal, memories, impressions, energies, internal, affected by that. Any of this, we get locked in. Attachment. Attachment. How do we get out of here? How do this? How do they want to get out of here? You don't get out of the field. You're still in. The, you're in the field. Maybe the the colours change, but you'll still be in the field. In that field of dumbers arising, and you'll still be in the same predicament. Lock onto any of it. You're going to suffer. <laughs> But also, the beauty of it is actually, within any of it, if you don't lock onto it, you don't have to suffer. You can be living in Walthamstow or Nigeria. You don't. <laughs> and if you don't lock on, you don't suffer. You can be living with people on your own. If you don't lock, no attachment, you don't suffer. <laughs> yeah. So we really, you know, in the monastery we establish these uh, cultivations. One is cultivation externally, say community life, looking after the place. It's not just to make a place some showpiece, but actually it is a cultivation of care, attention, but recognize, you know, as you're doing it, the main practice is just to be caring and attentive to the external, noticing where you get frenzied, trying to make it all work and perfect and tidy and absolutely spick and span, where you get frenzied and obsessive, where you get casual, oh goodness me, who cares, I didn't come here to do gardening, I didn't come here to do bricklaying, I didn't come here to do cooking, I didn't come here to do washing up, I came here to get enlightened. I came here to practice. I didn't come here to do the washing up. I came here to practice. Well, practice washing up. <laughs> Noticing a feeling of irritation or disappointment or your views and opinions about why you need to wash up or why other people don't do it or it's beneath you or above you. or you know, And keep just noticing these feelings of agitation or irritation or exasperation or business workaholic. I'm going to do all the washing up. You know, have patterns, and uh, and just start acknowledging that these are dumbers arising. It, everything is teaching you about where you get stuck 
or where the jitta gets stuck. Don't even take it personally. Everything is teaching you where your jitta locks, wants, doesn't want, starts to project. Yeah. You know? And so you know, cultivate, we cultivate just non obsessive, but at the same time giving forth attention, awareness, care. Not just blindly going through a duty, but actually looking into it. How is this? No, not just kind of, you know, doing it blindly. So I remember, you know, people are quite good at coming into cleaning up the place. So people tend to look down at the floor and sort of vacuum the floor or sweep the floor. And you get people who come into a room, you can see, oh, this one, he comes in, he gets his head down, he's... Let's clean the room. See, but look, if you look up, you see all the cobwebs. Oh, never actually looked up. Or you see around the skirting boards a line of dirt. When on the skirting boards, where it's landed on the top of the plugs. So you look around. You cultivate that. And look around. Have that wide-spanning attention. Recognizing, you do it today and tomorrow. It will still be dirty, and you do it again. And tomorrow it will still be dirty, and you do it again. And today you sweep the leaves, and tomorrow there'll be more leaves. It never gets done. But we're not trying to get it done. We're just cultivating thorough, deep attention, careful awareness, non-obsessive, open to the field, what we're in. And this means people, obviously, cultivating hostly cultivations towards people and creatures that live we share this planet with you know so I've been having trying to enter a more positive relationship with my rats I live around my cootie we've had a bit of negotiations over territory and I've quite you know I've grown quite fond of rats I no longer have a kind of rat feeling Rat is just a little animal running around and needs shelter, okay? But please don't chew my cootie. <laughs> you don't know, I'm sorry, if you don't understand, I've put some chicken wire down. Please don't dig under the chicken wire. Okay, we've got to dig the chicken wire in deeper to emphasize this point. But I don't want to harm you. Quite happy to see you running around. But don't have to chew my cootie. <laughs> You look at it like a creature needs to live. Okay. So a bit of, you know, peaceful coexistence. Cultivate like this rather than immediately, oh, rat, nasty, nasty, kill it, kill it, kill it. (laughs) Sort of things that people get into, isn't it? Fly, kill it, kill it, kill it. Bothering me, kill it. <laughs> so it's like, a little bit of mutual awareness, you know, creature, living creature, you know, I don't own the planet, let's get on. <laughs> uh, they call it very like this, externally, 
And it's not obsessive. It's just cultivating that purity of responsiveness and openness of attention. And we cultivate like that. And then you say we also do what we call meditation. So solitude is also encouraged. Sitting quiet on your own is also encouraged. Refraining from talking is also encouraged. So how do these two match up? Well, same thing. Because when you cold it internally, you open up and there, there's physical feeling I don't really like, but okay. Energies are not quite the way I'd like them to be, but that's okay. Obsessive thought in my mind, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, let's just manage peaceful coexistence. Open, don't lock onto it, any of it as myself or anything that shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling. I should be feeling more confident, more happy, more inspired. I'm not. Stop making this self out of it. And just relating to what arises. These are dhammas. And you do the same. So once you learn externally, you learn internally. Same same skills. Once you learn internally, you cultivate externally. Same skills. And eventually the, the boundary between internal and external begins to dissolve. And you just, and you notice what signals arise internally, externally. What are the signals that arise? Something that, what's he doing? Oh, they think this. Oh, I'm not that. You know, you can feel it rippling your nervous system. These signs and signals, it's called dhammas arising. Pleasant, you know, happy expectation. Mm, careful, it might not happen. Dreadful expectation. Relax now, it might not be the case. Projection about other people. I don't feel very good with him or her. Just, that's worry and fear. Deal with it. Now, okay. And you're just cultivating that widening and opening and steadying within the field. Yeah. And it may seem like you're dealing with a lot of discrete phenomena, but actually you're staying in one place and widening from that one place. You find a stable point. This is Dumbas. This is how it is. This is how it is now. At one point, it's like this now. We'd like it to be another way. We want it to be another way. We, but it's like this now. That's your one point. How's that feel? Mm. Okay. Let's just start dealing with the agitation, the expectation, feeling I should get something, make something happen, be somebody, feel a certain way, have a particular mind state. Let's just deal with that craving. And it's like this now. And so you really begin to get a sense of how invasive this this craving quality is. I mean, it's such a powerful word, craving, tanha. 
and you probably think, I don't crave very much. Yeah. I don't particularly want to drink. I don't crave a television. I'm not what craving. What's what craving? You'll find out. Essentially, the most fundamental thing we crave is a self. <laughs> a self who's solid, permanent, lasting, impregnable, clear, bright, constant. That's what I want. I want to be solid, impregnable, right, clear, happy, positive, bright, unfailing. That's what I want. And maybe this is going to get me there. Well, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to happen. (laughs) But don't worry. You'll get over it. (laughs) And you'll find yourself actually a lot happier and more flexible and more able to, to, to live without that getting in the way, that expectation getting in the way. Yeah. So what are you talking about? Okay. Internally, externally. Yeah. Don't keep categorizing things as self and other. Internally, externally, affected, wholesome, unwholesome, yeah. agitated, calm. Preferences arising. Hmm? All that. Don't get, just recognize the pull of all that. It pulls you into tanha upadana, craving, clinging, clinging, becoming, becoming somebody. And so it goes. Craving to be something, becoming, attaching, that's me. Becoming, I am this, birth. I will be this. Yeah. Death. That's how it goes. And the funny thing is, is craving to be something so powerful. Not even necessarily craving something pleasant. But to formulate an entity. This is what I am. I am a neurotic wreck. Good. Now I've got that established. (laughs) And now I kind of know how to operate within that paradigm of Make sure this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen, you know, uh, to operate within that. Mm. Mm. Craving to be a self. And you can see the patterns. I remember teaching a retreat and there's a couple of people there, you get, you're watching people doing chores the chore period, just noticing people doing chores. And there's generally they go this impressive list of how to cut a carrot, you know, or how to mop a floor. And you've got people who just, like, they see this as a major work project. They're in there scrubbing floors. They feel comfortable working, working hard. Gives them a sense. They're energized by that. Other people just, you know, oh, well... Oh, I'll do this, how long for, you know, <laughs> half-hearted, mind somewhere else, you know. Uh, you see the patterns playing out, how the mind trivializes or overemphasizes. And finding that balance, that's practice.
when you find that balance, this is called the middle path. Avoiding extremes, it's right in the middle. Poised, knowing which way you're going to, watching yourself tilt or lean and coming back to the centre again, widening, opening to the field. This is, so it covers all of it. This is really helpful because it's is in line with human nature. One of the aspects of human nature is we, we seek to normalize. It's both a social instinct and even a neurological instinct. So obviously when people get together, they want to kind of, shake hands or make gestures okay you're welcome or fine where am i supposed to be good what's the rules what's the protocol here where do i sit where do i go okay now i'm i'm normalized i know the scene you know i'm okay with it yeah that's standard isn't it people do that you generally make gestures to make people feel well you're welcome please so they feel normalized we normalize the agitations can cease we know where we are. Okay, we can start to operate. Of course, it doesn't always work because, as you can recognize, even though uh, like uh, communities make a lot of sense, they're very rare. Most people find it difficult to live with more than one other person. Even one person can be a bit of a challenge. But when you've got six, seven, ten, most people cannot do that. Yeah. Because, you know, a lack of a norm. It's just my opinion, her opinion, his tastes, her preferences, and so forth. And we try to work it all out. And that's gets so complicated, you think, ah, oh, you know. Ten of us get together to decide what we're going to eat on Friday, and who's doing the washing up on Saturday, and whose turn it is to do that. Oh, yeah, I still just live on my own <laughs> and deal with all this. And so that that's pretty much the case, isn't it? We seek to normalise, but it's pretty difficult because most people are trying to normalise by adding up, getting the details right. Who does what? and seeing each other as separate entities. Now, in Dhamma practice, we normalize around Dhamma, first of all. So the Dhamma is sometimes called the norm. It means let's generate goodwill, let's generate conscience and concern, let's generate mindfulness and awareness, let's generate, you know, ethical balance. Find your way in this. Find your way in this. Everybody generate that because you can know it. You can know it in yourself. So you normalize by actually knowing where in your own heart there's that norm, where there is goodwill, where there is awareness, where there is mindfulness, where there is conscience and concern. So this I can know directly. It's not a protocol on a piece of paper. It's something I can feel, I feel good about, 
I normalize around that. And then you begin to cultivate that. And when a group of people do that, then you get a community. So you work not on the external details, but the internal, directly accessible, directly realizable beauties of the heart. Let's do that and work from there. And then gradually the details of how we can operate begin to take shape. And they're probably going to be changing. And we get it wrong. We get it wrong. But it doesn't matter because everything's a learning and you say you haven't lost the norm of the Dhamma. And monastic communities particularly are uh, quite remarkable, really. Because they often, well, our ones, particularly in the West, are often multinational, multicultural, and people are coming and going. So how do you manage to maintain a sense of stability and norm when you've got people coming and going, new people, some seasoned people leaving, going somewhere else, newcomers coming in, because they're tuned to the norm of the Dhamma. And you generally, the principle generally in forest monasteries, if some newcomer comes in, make them welcome, give them a few days to just check things out, find out where things are, and feel comfortable in themselves, and then they can start to fill in the protocols. So you start with normalizing around the Dhamma. And once you get that right, then you don't have any issues with the various duties and tasks and so forth. Because they're just, they correspond to something that be accomplished by mindfulness that can bring forth integrity and concern, create manifestation of goodwill. You do it. Why not? So this then covers the external, the internal. You can see how important that normalizing is. Because until we feel normed, settled in our situations, mind never really settles down. Even when you're practicing on your own, the Buddha says something like, sit at the root of a tree. Put aside regret, doubt, covetousness and grief over the world. Normalize. Here I am. It's like this now. Tree behind me. Canopy, shelter, safe, comfortable. Okay. Having done so, bring awareness, bring mindfulness to the fore. And what you notice when your fundamental bodily sense is normalized, you notice breathing. Because that's the inner normalizing agency of the body. It settles us, it calms us. You could say it's the moderator of the nervous system. So rather than, okay, I've got to find some place I can be quiet, sit down, everything to bother me and focus on my breath. Not quite. Now, wherever you are, take up that sitting position or standing position. Discard the irritations or the fascinations with the world around you. Open to it, but discard the 
obsessiveness in one way or another, or closing it out, and you'll find that once you've discarded those tendencies, the world kind of disappears, because it's not there's no signs, there's no signals, you're not getting any buzzers going off in your system. So you make you know make peace with that, then you don't then your mind settles. You see what I mean? You know, so you're sitting and if your uncertainty is quite normal, a bit nervous, uncertain. Uh But practice with uncertainty, with nervousness, with anxiety, widening, softening, not reacting. And breathing, and the signs disappear. The signs disappear. Because all we really ever experience very intimately is not people or places, but the signs that they that get triggered. And these are very important to acknowledge. Signs of this sign of attraction, a sign of fear. I don't feel I'm good enough. That can that can arise in the presence of other people. There's karma. I feel I should be something. As soon as I'm with a group of people, I start to feel I should be doing something important to feel I'm okay. That's a sign. Not as good as she is, that's a sign. Or she's not as good as I am, that's another sign. <laughs> so those kind of flashing things that pop up, perception, you know. Okay. Don't attach, acknowledge. Steadying from your place of steadiness. Release the signs. Breathing. So then... Breathing in and out comes normally. It comes naturally, it comes normally. You don't have to find it. It's the indication that you have settled. If you haven't settled, settle first, get comfortable first, and then breathing will come to you. Um, and then the world disappears. Not because you've run away from it or closed it down, it just no longer pushes any buttons rings any bells, sets any buzzers going, it's just, it's gone. Fire's gone out. Mm-hmm. And then how do you do that? Well, you start, you know, if whatever you are, you think, okay, I practice integrity. I recognize that in myself, which values integrity. Yes, right. I cultivate goodwill. I notice that. I generate that. Mm. I'm aware of death. Mm. I'm not reckless and heedless. I cultivate that. I cultivate respect. I cultivate that. And these cultivations, these are, these are your values. You sit within and you normalize. As you sit within that and you attend to that, that quality, your inner Dhamma, becomes your resting place you sit in that the jitter 
then discards its fear, covetousness and grief. Irritation begins to gently expand. That's its nature. And then you find something that causes you to jump, pause, and keep expanding till these signs in the field are cleared. You feel settled. And check it out. Just notice, say you're even what it's like if you're a group of people and you're not thinking about something or the other, you're not obsessed with something, you're just sitting there. How does it affect you? You feel like the odd one out? Maybe that's quite common. If you're slightly nervous or strangely fidgety, that's not uncommon. Wherever the signs arise, however, you lock onto them, there will be suffering and unskillful habits will arise. So you meet those and relaxing, relaxing, relaxing through that. Living community, the way it goes is dependent on how your mind operates. You can find some particular feature of somebody's behavior really annoys you. Eventually, that becomes the dominant perception. <laughs> you know, that thing he does or that thing he doesn't do. And so when you see them, you, that sign, that bell starts ringing. There's the lazy so-and-so. There's the obsessive so-and-so. There's the one who always does this. There's the one who never cleans up. There's the one who doesn't switch the light off. There's the one who, you know, doesn't listen. Something like ding, 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 ding. Ah, I think I've met a teacher. <laughs> Very good, I've met a teacher. Okay, what do I do with this? Yes, back, step back. <laughs> Don't lock horns with it. Let's step back. I don't run away from it, just step back, widen, and soften. And you find there's a quiet place that you can rest in. This is skillful. And then you begin to see, I don't need to just keep pumping out ill will. Maybe she is, maybe he isn't, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I don't need to have this churning of irritation and ill will does me harm so you just step back and you learn that in community life not just over things like that you can find yourself like you're suddenly monasteries particularly very quiet and then maybe 200 people turn up you think oh my goodness me I feel overwhelmed flooded 200 people this room is crowded and people you know Just step back. Sign of devotion. The sign of people enthusiastic. Don't lock into it, just sit back. You go to a meeting, we have meetings, so generally the meeting is about work or business meeting where somebody's got maybe four or five topics come up 
on the agenda, da 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 da. You think, oh my goodness me, there's so much going on here. Step back from that over-engaged, but don't space out. Find the middle way. You're just listening. What you choose to engage with from a place of meaning, this matters. So you're really no longer just being wound up by life. Then you can live. You can live with people, you can live on your own. You can live with whatever you've done in the past and you can live with no future. With a future that's always uncertain, you can live with it. Rather than trying to plan and map out everything that's going to happen the next year, get it all sorted out, you don't need to do that. Because the sense of anxiety is gone. And the sense of guilt is gone. The sense of regret is gone. Nostalgia is gone. Fear is gone. You can live. You can be lived freely. And this is precious. Precious. This is the way the Buddha cultivated internally and externally. said the resources that you need liberation, external, internal. What are these fundamental resources? Absolutely fundamental resources for, we say, the attainment of stream entry means through this you have found that middle way and you know it. You've rested in that place where you feel liberated or liberation potential. You've found that quiet center. You're in that, attentive to where you're getting hooked up and how you can unhook. Four resources, essential, external, spiritual friendship, admirable companions, guides and leaders, models. Not just people you like, but people who present behavior, Words, ideas, themes, attitudes that touch, arouse, dumber, skillful states. Externally you hear or you attend or you pick up true meaning, true dhamma, that which matters, you pick it up, it's being presented to you either verbally, directly or just in the way that people behave. Wow. The way he walked across the room without scurrying, that was a teaching for me. Because normally, when I get up, I'm merely halfway out the door. <laughs> the way he picked his sandals up and just put them there before opening the door. But I normally kick them off and run out the door. You know, so it could be like that. You, you get a teaching. Because you're living with people who are practicing. Or you remember people yeah, who do that. External, internal. You practice the Dhamma. You see that being modelled. What happens when I do the same thing? What does it take to act like that? Where does that come from? And internally you cultivate 
yoniso manisikara, deep, careful, considered attention. What's going on? Where's this come from? Is that a skillful thought? Is that useful? Is that relevant? Is it unwholesome or wholesome? Keep filtering. And these all play together. Yeah, because uh, Kalyanamita encourages you not just to be a, you know, a conformist model to what they're doing, encourages you to cultivate your deep attention, to recognize, you know, oh, when I do that, I'm careless. When I do like she's doing it, yeah, I can see that. There's a point in that. There's a point when that person never says, I will do this, they say, I intend to do that. <laughs> there's a point in that. It's not just a linguistic contrivance. It means they're saying, oh, my intention is to do that. My intention is to go to Bangkok tomorrow, but we will see. You know, Because the future, they're telling the truth. That's all. Yes, that's right. So I'm not leaning into the future. There's a point in that. There's a teaching there. You get it. Oh yes, that's the right way to think. That's the right way to think. Then I'm not leaning into the future, nor am I denying the possibilities. I'm just poised in that. There's the middle way. Kalyanamita gives you the hints, the suggestions that bring you to the middle way to the midpoint. They work together. How do you know a Kalyanamita? How do you know a spiritual friend? How do you know an admirable companion? Because you deeply attend to what they're doing. You know, you could be living with an arahant, enlightened being, but if you don't have deep attention, you wouldn't notice it. Just think, what's that funny old guy doing? I don't know. (laughs) So, you know, Deep attention, you see. So they work together. Kalyanamita encourages deep attention. Deep attention helps you to notice that people are just so, so superficial friends, look good but actually got no depth to them. And the ones who are, there's some depth there. You, you attend carefully. Yeah. And you, you know, you can be reading a thousand books, but you don't get a single piece of true Dhamma arising because it's just words drifting through. And the Buddha said, rather than a thousand wasted words, a single word of truth is better. You know, even no words, just watching, picking up the true Dhamma. And you get that because practice, you know what you can practice with. And generally when you hear a Dhamma talk, there may be three phrases in that that you get. That's fine. That was that was a Dhamma for you. It's not everything I've said or anybody says. It's just the three phrases or the, the piece that triggered something in yourself. That's what it's like. Like that. So we're not saying, I, I couldn't get it or I couldn't understand it. Or No, you understood the bit you could right now. And maybe tomorrow will be something else. 
So we live like that. We don't leave your center. Let it flow over, see what you pick up. But when you're in a field where you're getting those signs, the sign of the Kalyanamita, the sign of admirable companions, the sign of people who inspire model, you think, yeah, this is truly suitable for me to deepen my attention to what they're doing and saying and not doing and not saying and to relinquish my fears, worries, self-consciousness, feeling intimidated, feeling I've got to be like, just relinquish those and find your centre. That's all that's been asked, encouraged. When you hear Dhamma, you don't have to remember it all, fit it into some conceptual system, just notice the pieces, the elements that light you up. Oh, that's it. When that happens, you know you're in the right place and you know you're finding the centre, your own centre. So everything leads back to that. Everything leads back to that. Mm. So the world, of course, the world of social norms is extremely confusing because this desire to normalise means often people get herd instincts, you get swept up in fashions, in political ideologies, dogmatic beliefs, crazy missions, just because people want to belong to something. But we're not trying to belong to a society, we're trying to normalise around Dhamma, and in the true society, the fourfold assembly, that's the true society that arises in our awareness. Mm near and far, people far away geographically come close in our hearts. People who passed away come close in our hearts. And so this is the true assembly that we normalize around. Mm. So uh, offer this for your reflection and encouragement.